Hey everyone, you're listening to God's Whole Story, a podcast of Worship Center. We know just how hard it is to read God's Word and understand it, so we decided to read the Bible chronologically this year and talk about it together. Thanks so much for joining us. Hey guys, welcome to God's Whole Story. My name is Ryan. I'm here today with Mandy. Uh, We are looking at 2 Samuel 5. That's where we're starting. Of course, we have a couple of Chronicles passages sprinkled here and there, uh, which makes it seem like we're repeating ourselves often. We are repeating ourselves often. doesn't yeah, seem like it. That's true. We actually are. That is the reality. But we're supposed to. We're supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it, I mean, literally sometimes the readings seem exactly the same. And they are. Yeah. Except again, the way we pronounce things. I did notice one thing. Uh, we'll get into more interesting things soon, probably. But in Second Samuel, uh, when David defeats the Philistines, he confiscates all their idols. Yeah. And in Chronicles, First Chronicles 14, when they defeat the Philistines, it says that he gave orders to burn them. Whoa. So there is like a little bit of an inconsistency there. I'm assuming that just because there's two different accounts, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's like completely different. Maybe some of them got burned. Maybe some of them got confiscated. At any rate, when it comes to these idols, David's not like, hey, let's hang on to these things and keep them. Like, yeah, he's maybe like, he confiscated them to burn just, them. Yeah, it could be. It could be. So don't look at that and be like, oh, hmm, found it. This can't be reliable. It actually can be. All it's right. just like two Fine. different accounts. I don't know why you're telling me that. Don't look at me like that. Sorry, guys. You can't see how he's looking. <laughs> All right. So basically at the beginning of this passage, uh, before we get into the, the Samuel Chronicles kind of situation, David's kingdom is united. You get like all of Israel saying, yes, you're the king. Finally. Finally, we get there. Uh, Everybody comes together. They recognize David as their their king. Now David can reign. One thing that's interesting is that this is actually the second time that David is anointed as king, which it's worth noting to me because the first time he gets anointed, it's in 1 Samuel 16. It's like him and Samuel. This time when he's anointed king, it's in front of everybody. Hmm. So it's kind of interesting because David has known all those years, it's been years, um, that he would be the king over all of Israel. But he let God's plan play out. He didn't necessarily feel the need to just take advantage of it to where we get to the point where he is indeed anointed king of Israel in front of everybody. I mean, I don't think we can emphasize enough how crazy that is. It's intense, yeah. like, character that takes. It's a lot of character. And a lot of trust in God because it was a lot of years. And then on top of that, when he started reigning, um, it was seven and a half years of, like, conflict. Yeah. So, like, he finally gets to, like, reign over something and it's kind of terrible. People just be dying all the time. So, um, man, I just have like the utmost respect for him in this moment. I mean, later I'm going to lose respect for him, but right now, <laughs> um, I think that's pretty awesome. You can actually start losing respect for him already because part of this reading today is about how he's collecting additional wives and concubines. Oh, like yeah, it's I just like I read that. this, this King thing is already getting to him. Uh, sometimes I think we give David a little bit more credit than what he should have because he's already, and and we know like, like the story of David, like the big sin is he sins with Bathsheba. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we already see here the foundations of things. He's not supposed to be doing this. And he knows that. Oh, so could we say that sometimes those big sins have early beginnings and little, little disobedience? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So he's, he's collecting already for himself, wives, concubines, armies, you know, the whole thing yeah. that's all been explicitly condemned in Deuteronomy 17 before any of this took shape. So here's the crazy thing. I think like for us today, you know how I'm always going to just do that, right? Like how yeah. does the Old Testament actually inform my life? Yeah. I think sometimes we think we get away with stuff, right? We get away with disobeying. We get away with doing things that we know we're not supposed to do. Let's not, we're not idiots. We are smart people um, who do stupid things. Mm-hmm. And um, 
anyway, and so as we think about it, it's like we think we're getting away with these like small things of not obeying what God's really asking us to do. It turns out you always, always, always reap what you sow. It's just like that is actually a law and a principle that will always play out in our lives. And so it matters how we handle ourselves with integrity and faithfulness in the smallest of ways, because that will inform us when we get to a bigger temptation or a bigger, yeah, when we're tempted to disobey in a bigger way, if we have not built the muscles of integrity and faithfulness um, in the little things, we will not show up to the big thing with faithfulness and integrity. And everybody wants to think they're the exception. Everybody wants to think that like small disobediences don't matter or small ignoring like the prompting of what you know God's asking you to do or just plain scripture. Like, how many people just are ignoring scripture um, and thinking like, oh, that doesn't really apply to my life. I probably don't have to forgive my enemies. Shoot, you do. So anyway, all that to say, I like you pointing that out. Um, thanks for giving me permission to to stop respecting him right now. That's a good word. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I'm just kidding. The real- uh, let's, let's, let's catch him on the upside now. Yeah. Uh, we do see like when he goes to war against the Philistines. So, so there is... This idea of war against the Philistines has been playing out for a bit. David is going to exercise judgment on the Philistines, like God's already laid that out. We see that happening. What's interesting about David is that he always seeks God's direction before he goes to do that. Saul did not do that. Saul was always like kind of hastily throwing things together. Uh, He's trying to, Saul was trying to make himself look like a great, powerful, strong leader. And in the background, he's not waiting around to see what God has to say. Mm. So David here, we have two instances where God is like, go ahead and fight them. You're going to win. Then there's another instance where he's like, no, I want you to like hide in this grove off to the side and just wait until you hear the trees rustle. Um, I don't know if you're like in leadership at all, but probably like hiding out in a grove waiting to hear the trees rustle (laughs) is not a very exciting (laughs) leadership skill. All right. And especially if you're a military commander and you're telling all these mighty men, right, we've seen some of the things that they do. They're they're super violent. They're super skilled in war. I can't imagine that goes over well. Like, hey, guys, our enemy's right over there. We're going to hide in these trees and listen to the leaves. <laughs> and when the leaves sound right, we're going to go after yeah, those guys. Yeah, because it was a specific sound they were listening to. Yeah. When, you, when it sounds like there's someone walking on the tops yeah. of the trees, that's how you'll know. And it's like, what do you mean? Is this going to be like... I don't know. What would it sound like for someone to walk on top of the leaves? But they knew. So it's a stark contrast from Saul because David is willing to wait on God, let God go ahead of him, right? Like the, the, the most terrible, I mean, Saul did lots of terrible things, but one of the most terrible things he does is he offers sacrifices instead of waiting for Samuel to come and help him. Mm. Um, here we see David like waiting. He's listening. He's hearing from God. He's like, oh, God told us to wait. We're going to wait. Uh, and, and and they're successful against the Philistines. Um, we also then see David take possession of Jerusalem. So this is pretty cool. Like he, he goes down, he's going to rule from Jerusalem at this point. Um, he takes possession of this city. It's now called the city of David. You can actually, if you really wanted to, you could fly to, to Jerusalem right now and go visit the city of David. It's still there. They dug it up or whatever. I don't know. They polished it off, rubbed the dirt off of it. But it's it's there. It's there. You can actually see this place uh, where David ruled from, and it's there that he ruled over this united Israel. Um, that's really cool. And I'd like to go back to what you were talking about before. Yeah. Yeah. Why is David so good at waiting on the Lord, and why are why are we mostly so bad at it? I don't know. Like he's not consistently great at, at waiting on the Lord. I mean, he has put a lot of time in. 
at this point, and he's marked at this point as waiting on the Lord. But pretty soon here in these readings, we're going to see that he's not great at hearing from the Lord. Sometimes he intentionally closes off listening to the Lord. Hmm. Um, so I think it's I think it's a heart, a heart posture kind of a thing. Like I, I think that you're you're not necessarily born able to hear from God and like able to carry that out all the time. Yeah, I, what makes waiting so it's hard? Like a, it's like, like a practice for I think, you. I what think makes you waiting to, hard? What makes waiting hard? I mean, I just don't like it. I, I would not be one that's like, see all those enemies over there? We're going to wait in these trees and listen to leaves. Okay, but like, besides, not like, be fun. besides like an Old Testament reference, like in your, in your <laughs> current actual life, yeah. like why is it so hard to wait on the Lord? Uh, I think it has a lot to do with like if you are cultivating that kind of a thing in your life. So I would actually say like I I would say you're you're trying to get me to talk about my actual life. I can hear you doing that. Um, <laughs> hey, I, it's either this or childhood wounds. So you pick which <laughs> direction. We're I would going. say I have been in a season of not wanting to wait on the Lord, and I actually have come out of that season like oh that's not who I want to be. That actually mm-hmm. makes me like kind of a gross person. Interesting. Um, so to me, it's like a lot of like I have a lot of personal ambitions, and I have a lot of things I want to do and positions I want to hold. I definitely do. I'm not going to lie about that. Uh, but anytime that I decide to go after taking those things for myself, it creates like a ton of personal angst, a ton. Yeah. And so, so I, I'm in no way David, like I'm not going to be a king or anything like that. But like the those things that I do feel leadings from God that I think are from God, it, it, it actually makes my life significantly better to actually rest and wait on God because maybe I'm wrong. Or maybe like that we've maybe what we've seen here in several stories so far is that God's actually working in more lives than yours. And he's trying to accomplish a lot of things in a lot of people. And it's actually wrong for you to jump ahead of him because you get in the way of what he's trying to accomplish in other people. Wow, that's really good. Thank you for sharing honestly today, Ryan. <laughs> I loved every minute. So did our listeners. But no, I was thinking when you were saying that, um, picturing like this, you know, when we do jump ahead, I think one thing, well, I think two things. One thing is we live in a culture where hustling is celebrated. Mm-hmm. So always have a side hustle, always do this, always do that. Like, and if you're not, it's kind of being lazy or like you're not going after, or maybe even in the Christian world, you're not using the gifts God gave you. There is pressure to do that. But we see this other thing that's talked about in scripture all the time, which is wait on the Lord, wait on the Lord, wait on the Lord, you know? And, um, the Lord is never in a hurry. I, you just like never hear him say that, like, yo, hurry up, you got to go, you know? And so I think those are, that's one kind of tension. But the other thing when you were sharing that was like, I picture this struggle, right? Like you can make it happen on your own. And um, so maybe you'll get the thing that you want. Maybe you're really like working towards whatever goal it is and you'll get it, but it was really hard getting there. And we think waiting is so much harder, but it's like, what if in the waiting, you actually find peace? What if in the waiting, you find joy? What if in the waiting, you find all these beautiful things internally? You may not get the outward outcome you wanted, but the older I get, the more I realize it's the internal rewards that are so rich. And so like, that's what I actually want, because why would I want external outcomes if I'm anxious inside or having this angst like you're talking about. Like, I think it takes a minute for all of us to catch on to that. Like, oh, it's not worth it, you know? Um, So I appreciate you sharing that because I think it's super relatable for a lot of people. I guess, hope it's relatable to you. Uh, We'll see you again tomorrow. We didn't even get to talk about this ridiculous arc situation. You can read about that for yourself. Maybe watch Indiana Jones, see that as a commentary. Don't mess with the arc, guys. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye.
Second Samuel 5. Then all the tribes of Israel went to David at Hebron and told him, We are your own flesh and blood. In the past, when Saul was our king, you were the one who really led the forces of Israel. And the Lord told you, You will be the shepherd of my people Israel. You will be Israel's leader. So there at Hebron, King David made a covenant before the Lord with all the elders of Israel, and they anointed him king of Israel. First Chronicles. Then all Israel gathered before David at Hebron and told him, We are your own flesh and blood. In the past, even when Saul was king and you were the one who really led the forces of Israel, and the Lord your God told you, You will be the shepherd of my people Israel. You will be the leader of my people Israel. So there at Hebron, David made a covenant before the Lord with all the elders of Israel, and they anointed him king of Israel, just as the Lord had promised through Samuel. These are the numbers of armed warriors who joined David at Hebron. They were all eager to see David become king instead of Saul, just as the Lord had promised. From the tribe of Judah, there were 6,800 warriors armed with shields and spears. From the tribe of Simeon, there were 7,100 brave warriors. From the tribe of Levi, there were 4,600 warriors. This included Jehoiada, leader of the family of Aaron, who had 3,700 under his command. This also included Zadok, a brave young warrior with 22 members of his family who were all officers. From the tribe of Benjamin, Saul's relatives, there were 3,000 warriors. Most of the men from Benjamin had remained loyal to Saul until this time. From the tribe of Ephraim, there were 20,800 brave warriors, each highly respected in his own clan. From the half-tribe of Manasseh, west of the Jordan, 18,000 men were designated by name to help David become king. From the tribe of Issachar, there were 200 leaders of the tribe with their relatives. All these men understood the signs of the times and knew the best course for Israel to take. From the tribe of Zebulun, there were 50,000 skilled warriors. They were fully armed and prepared for battle and completely loyal to David. From the tribe of Naphtali, there were 1,000 officers and 37,000 warriors armed with shields and spears. From the tribe of Dan, there were 28,600 warriors all prepared for battle. From the tribe of Asher, there were 40,000 trained warriors all prepared for battle. From the east side of the Jordan, where the tribes of Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh lived, there were 120,000 troops armed with every kind of weapon. All these men came in battle array to Hebron with the single purpose of making David the king over all Israel. In fact, everyone in Israel agreed that David should be their king. They feasted and drank with David for three days for preparations had been made by their relatives for their arrival. And people from as far away as Issachar, Zebulun, and Naphtali brought food on donkeys, camels, mules, and oxen. Vast supplies of flour, fig cakes, clusters of raisins, wine, olive oil, cattle, sheep, and goats were brought to the celebration. There was great joy throughout the land of Israel. When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king of Israel, they mobilized all their forces to capture him. But David was told they were coming, so he went into the stronghold. The Philistines arrived and spread out across the valley of Rephim. So David asked the Lord, should I go out to fight the Philistines? Will you hand them over to me? The Lord replied to David, yes, go ahead. I will certainly hand them over to you. So David went to Baal Perazim and defeated the Philistines there. The Lord did it, David exclaimed. He burst through my enemies like a raging flood. So he named that place Baal Perazim, which means the Lord who burst through. The Philistines had abandoned their idols there, so David and his men confiscated them. But after a while, the Philistines returned and again spread out across the valley of Rephim. And again, David asked the Lord what to do. Do not attack them straight on, the Lord replied. Instead, circle around behind and attack them near the poplar trees. When you hear a sound like marching feet in the tops of the poplar trees, be on the alert. 
That will be the signal that the Lord is moving ahead of you to strike down the Philistine army. So David did what the Lord commanded, and he struck down the Philistines all the way from Gibeon to Gezer. When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over all Israel, they mobilized all their forces to capture him. But David was told they were coming, so he marched out to meet them. The Philistines arrived and made a raid in the valley of Rephim. So David asked God, should I go out to fight the Philistines? Will you hand them over to me? The Lord replied, yes, go ahead. I will hand them over to you. So David and his troops went up to Baal Perazim and defeated the Philistines there. God did it, David exclaimed. He used me to burst through my enemies like a raging flood. So they named that place Baal Perazim, which means the Lord who burst through. The Philistines had abandoned their gods there, so David gave orders to burn them. But after a while, the Philistines returned and raided the valley again. And once again, David asked God what to do. Do not attack them straight on, God replied. Instead, circle around behind and attack them near the poplar trees. When you hear a sound like marching feet in the tops of the poplar trees, go out and attack. That will be the signal that God is moving ahead of you to strike down the Philistine army. So David did what God commanded, and they struck down the Philistine army all the way from Gibeon to Gezer. So David's fame spread everywhere, and the Lord caused all the nations to fear David. David then led his men to Jerusalem to fight against the Jebusites, the original inhabitants of the land who were living there. The Jebusites taunted David, saying, You'll never get in here. Even the blind and lame could keep you out, for the Jebusites thought they were safe. But David captured the fortress of Zion, which is now called the city of David. On the day of the attack, David said to his troops, I hate those lame and blind Jebusites. Whoever attacks them should strike by going into the city through the water tunnel. That is the origin of the saying, the blind and the lame may not enter the house. So David made the fortress his home and he called it the city of David. He extended the city starting at the supporting terraces and working inward. And David became more and more powerful because the Lord God of heaven's armies was with him. Then David and all of Israel went to Jerusalem, or Jebus, as it used to be called, where the Jebusites, the original inhabitants of the land, were living. The people of Jebus taunted David, saying, you'll never get in here. But David captured the fortress of Zion, which is now called the city of David. David had said to his troops, whoever is first to attack the Jebusites will become the commander of my armies. And Joab, the son of David's sister, Zariah, was first to attack, so he became the commander of David's armies. David made the fortress his home, and that is why it is called the city of David. He extended the city from the supporting terraces to the surrounding area, while Joab rebuilt the rest of Jerusalem. And David became more and more powerful because the Lord of Heaven's armies was with him. Then David reigned another 33 years in Jerusalem. After moving from Hebron to Jerusalem, David married more concubines and wives, and they had more sons and daughters. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years in all. He had reigned over Judah from Hebron for seven years and six months, and from Jerusalem he reigned over all Israel and Judah for 33 years. 2 Samuel 5. Then King Hiram of Tyre sent messengers to David along with cedar timber and carpenters and stonemasons, and they built David a palace. And David realized that the Lord had confirmed him as king over Israel and had blessed his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. First Chronicles 14. Then King Hiram of Tyre sent messengers to David along with cedar timber and stonemasons and carpenters to build him a palace. And David realized that the Lord had confirmed him as king over Israel and had greatly blessed his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. David consulted with all his officials, including the general and captains of his army. Then he addressed the entire assembly of Israel as follows. If you approve, and it is the will of the Lord our God, let us send messages to all of Isra- all the Israelites throughout the land, including the priests and Levites in their towns and pasture lands. 
Let us invite them to come and join us. It is time to bring back the ark of our God, for we have neglected it during the reign of Saul. The whole assembly agreed to this, for the people could see it was the right thing to do. So David summoned all of Israel from Shihor Brook of Egypt in the south, all the way to the town of Lebo Hamath in the north, to join in bringing the ark of God from Kiriath-Jerim. 2 Samuel 6. Then David again gathered all the elite troops in Israel, 30,000 in all. He led them to Bala of Judah to bring back the ark of God, which bears the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, who is enthroned between the cherubim. They placed the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from Abinadab's house, which was on a hill. Uzzah and Ahio, Abinadab's sons, were guiding the cart that carried the ark of God. Ahio walked in front of the ark. David and all the people of Israel were celebrating before the Lord, singing songs and playing all kinds of musical instruments, lyres, harps, tambourines, castanets, and cymbals. But when they arrived at the threshing floor of Nacon, the oxen stumbled, and Uzzah reached out his hand and steadied the ark of God. Then the Lord's anger was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him dead because of this. So Uzzah died right there beside the ark of God. David was angry because the Lord's anger had burst out against Uzzah. He named that place Perez Uzzah, which means to burst out against Uzzah, as it is still called today. David was now afraid of the Lord, and he asked, How can I ever bring the ark of the Lord back into my care? So David decided not to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom of Gath. The ark of the Lord remained there in Obed-Edom's house for three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his entire household. First Chronicles 13 then David and all of Israel went to Bala of Judah, also called Kiriath-Jerim, to bring back the Ark of God, which bears the name of the Lord who is enthroned between the cherubim. They placed the Ark of God on a new cart and brought it from Abinadab's house. Uzzah and Ahio were guiding the cart. David and all Israel were celebrating before God with all their might, singing songs and playing all kinds of musical instruments, lyres, harps, tambourines, cymbals, and trumpets. But when they arrived at the threshing floor of Nacon, the oxen stumbled, and Uzzah reached out his hand to steady the ark. Then the Lord's anger was aroused against Uzzah, and he struck him dead because he had laid his hand on the ark. So Uzzah died there in the presence of God. David was angry because the Lord's anger had burst out against Uzzah. He named that place Perez Uzzah, which means to burst out against Uzzah, as it is still called today. David was now afraid of God, and he asked, How can I ever bring the ark of God back into my care? So David did not move the ark into the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom of Gath. The ark of God remained there in Obed-Edom's house for three months, and the Lord blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he owned. Hey guys, this is Ryan, and I hope you are getting a lot out of God's whole story. Uh, it means a lot to us, even as we are reading through God's Word every single day in the order that it happened. Um, if you want to go ahead and follow us, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at God's Whole Story Podcast. Uh, we would love it if you would share this thing with your friends or people that you know, or just share what's sticking out to you. Uh, you can either send us a DM, or you could actually email us at podcast at worshipcenter.org. You can email us if you have any questions, if something stuck out to you, if you'd like us to pray for you, and if you want want a Bible, if you don't have one right now, or if you want a copy of the one that we're using to go through God's whole story, we'd be happy to send that to you. So go ahead and reach out to us in any way that you'd like. We'd love to hear from you. Have a great day.